pretty well. We'll run an experiment here today. Uh, Brother Fisher thinks he was on to a lead here. We might be getting feedback from this. That might be what the crackling is. If that's the case, I'll move over there and we'll see if it works any better. Uh, today we're going to be in uh, 1 Timothy again. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at three verses here this morning. Uh, we're seeing God's grace to Paul. God's grace to Paul. Uh, verses 12 to 14 goes like this, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer. Great are you, Lord, as we just sang, and you are worthy of our praise. You're the only one worthy of our praise. Seems with each passing day, you seem more and more great compared to everything else in the world around us. The world gets darker and you get brighter. Help us to be a salt and light in this world to show the way to you. Guide us through your word here this morning. Make your message be perfectly clear. And we're trusting you to do that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as you recall, last week we saw Paul in verse 11 praising the gospel and, and praising God the Father who had entrusted him with it. Uh, he was ecstatic. Well, let's back up and read verse 11 again. According to the glorious gospel of my blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul was amazed that he was trusted by God with this precious gospel. And we talked about that last time. I'm not going to go over it all again. Today, we're going to see him praise the one to whom he and Timothy have dedicated their lives. And that's Christ Jesus, our Lord. I hope you've done the same thing Paul and Timothy did. We're going, to see a, we're going to compare ourselves to Paul and Timothy here this morning as we go down through. There's a lot of similarities that you and I share with Paul and Timothy. But in uh, verse 12 is where we kick off today. Paul says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now the expression that Paul kicks off with here is a unique one. It's only used a couple of times. It's Karen Echo. It literally means I have gratitude when he says, uh, and I thank. I have gratitude. It's only used one other time in the New Testament, and that's in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. Let's look at that. It's just a one page over in the Pew Bible. He says, I thank God, same term, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have a remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Notice that what Paul is thankful for with this very profound expression of thanks, both times it's that he's trusted with this ministry. Are you thankful that you're entrusted with this ministry? Yeah. Now, the word enabled here... Uh, 
He's, he's thankful that Christ has enabled him. The word enabled is literally, has given me strength. And it comes from the Greek word dunamis, uh, which any preacher has to tell us that that's the word that... Uh, 18, I'll give, can I give you a history lesson that's not related to this? 1869, Alfred Nobel. We know him, Nobel Prize, right? Alfred Nobel, Swedish chemist. Uh, he's, working on, he's working in a factory that uh, makes nitroglycerin. We all know nitroglycerin is very dangerous. Uh, he was working on a way to stabilize it. They mixed it with uh, diatomaceous earth and made it into a putty. Uh, you and I might know it as uh, tri trinitritylene, TNT, the thing we measure explosive power with. It's, it's so many kilotons of TNT. It's, you can measure our Moab bomb by how many kilotons of TNT it uses. Uh, the word that he used to describe his discovery was dynamite. He launched his company, Dynamite Nobel, after his own name. It, he took it from this word. This kind of explosive power is the power that Paul has, says that Christ gave him to deliver this ministry. Do you have that explosive dynamite power in your ministry? It's available to you. Paul was thankful for it. See, Paul found that the source of his strength was none other than the risen Christ. And Paul placed all of his confidence in Christ as the source of his strength. That's what he says. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So why does Paul even mention this? Why does he even talk about this strength and this source of his strength? Why bring it up? He just finished glorifying God in chapter 11. Why, why bother bringing Christ up again here in verse 12? I think he's given Timothy a subtle reminder that, Timothy, you've got this same power. Timothy, you and I share this same power. Did you know that ministry can take a lot out of you? I'm going to admit something to you right now. I don't do well in the heat. I am not as sharp today as I ought to be. Ministry can sometimes take a lot out of you. Sometimes just the temperature can take a lot out of you. And sometimes in ministry, when temperature is against you and other things are against you, there's a tendency to fall back on your own strength sometimes. And Paul knows that there's no kind of future in ministry with that kind of mentality. Without the power of the risen Christ flowing through us, we're no match for the heretics and their false teachings. Remember, that's what Timothy's facing. He's told Timothy, I need you to stay there. I need you to make sure that these other guys who are preaching false gospels don't go anywhere. You need to hold the fort here in Ephesus, Timothy. That took a lot out of Timothy. He got discouraged. See, without the power of Christ, they'll win every time because we're fighting an uphill battle, you see. But Christ strengthens us, and he changes us for the better from the inside out. And that's the only hope of any success in any ministry. What God did for Paul, he can do for Timothy, and he can do for you and me as well. So what exactly did Christ do for Paul? What exactly did Christ do for Paul? Well, he regarded him as faithful, right? For he counted me faithful, 
Now, that's the same word, pistos, that we've seen used already for faith in this book. Uh, I already pointed out to you how many times pistos is used in this. Paul thought a lot about faith in the books of First and Second Timothy. Having faith and being worthy of faith was foremost in Paul's mind. It reminds me a lot of what Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. Let's take a quick glance at that. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 24, tw- uh, 25 rather. Yeah, I really want to focus on the second half of this verse. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Obtained mercy of the Lord, why to be faithful? See, God had a, I'm going to, Joyce, is it all right if I answer your question from last Sunday a little bit right now? You asked us a question about the sovereignty of God. Uh, we were talking about uh, did God know before? Did God know beforehand when He sent Christ to the cross? We'll t- we'll address a little bit of that right now. Uh, see, God had a plan for Paul before Paul was born. God has a plan for you before you were born too. Uh, And God finally appointed him to his ministry. Despite all the things that happened in Paul's life, they all led up to this crucial moment in 1 Timothy where Paul's instructing Timothy, giving him instruction. All the things that happened, happened because of that. We're going to come back to that thought in just a minute. Hang on to that. The word for uh, ministry, by the way, is diakonia, from which we get deacon. So as undeserving as Paul was, which we're going to see in the next verse, God had Paul's back. As undeserving as Paul was, God was still behind him. God had Timothy's back as well. And you know what? God's got your back too. As undeserving as you are, as undeserving as I am, God's still backing us up. So let's move on to verse 13 where I said we were going to go. Here's how undeserving Paul was. These are the things that God allowed to happen in Paul's life before he called him to the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. See, Paul realized that of all people, he deserved nothing less than a royal beatdown from God. That's what Paul deserved, and Paul knew that. See, Paul was raised as a rabbi. We, uh, let's, let's back up to uh, Acts chapter 22, and we'll see that he, he grew up in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 22 and verse 3. Paul's given a little bit of his own autobiography. He says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city, talking about Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are to this day. And I persecuted this way unto death. He goes on to describe 
what he, the evil deeds that he used to do. We went through that when we went through the book of Acts. Paul was raised by Gamaliel in Jerusalem to be a rabbi. Gamaliel was the preeminent rabbi of the day. Jerusalem was a place where Jesus went to frequently in his ministry, right? Paul and Jesus were contemporaries, probably roughly the same age. Paul almost definitely bumped into Jesus while he was in Jerusalem. Bear that in mind. Also bear in mind that the leaders in Jerusalem, of whom Gamaliel, Paul's teacher, was one of the preeminent ones, never had anything good to say about Jesus. And there's Paul, studying with Gamaliel. So Paul is watching his teachers, young man studying to be a rabbi, watching his teachers ridicule Jesus and then finally condemn him to death. And Paul would have been in complete agreement with Jesus' crucifixion. And Paul probably was one of those ones in the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. I'm speculating here, but I think I'm on very solid ground. That's why Paul calls himself a former blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. We'll look at those charges here in a little bit. But God allowed all of that to happen in Paul's life. Is it bad that Paul was a uh, blasphemer? Is it bad that Paul was a persecutor? Yes, it is. Is it bad, ultimately, that Paul was hunting Christians down and killing them? Yes, it is. God allowed all that to happen. All those Christians who died by Paul's hand died so that Paul would have this testimony that he's giving Timothy. Do bad things happen in your life? Has anybody ever had a bad thing happen in their life? Or is it just me? Bad things happen. They may happen so that you've got a decent testimony towards someone else. How did you bear up under that? I hope that answers your question somewhat. We're going to continue on that thought. But let's look at these charges Paul makes against himself. He calls himself a blasphemer. He calls himself a persecutor. And he calls himself injurious. First one is blasphemer. That word's used three other times in the New Testament. Once to describe Stephen's alleged blasphemy against Moses and against God. That's in Acts chapter 6 and verse 11 if you want to read it yourself. I'm not going there right now. It describes the abusive tendencies of godless people in the end times. We will see that when we get to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. There will be blasphemers in those days, he says. I'm not going to turn there. You can read it yourself. And the declarations of the false teachers that we looked at when we studied 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. He calls them blasphemers. Those are the only three other times when this word blasphemer is used. So that's a pretty serious charge Paul's giving himself. I used to be a blasphemer, Paul says. That didn't mean that he just used curse words once in a while. I think it's significant that Stephen's charge that Paul saw to his execution, Acts chapter 6, go ahead and back up and read that again. Uh, the charge was blasphemy against Moses and against God. Paul calls himself a blasphemer here. Paul, the one who officiated over Stephen's stoning. Paul's well aware of the significance of this claim. 
I put somebody to death for that. At least one person Paul put to death for this charge of blasphemy. And Paul says, I'm guilty of it. I am going to move over here and see if this goes away. We're running an experiment here. All right. We're over here, seeing if it's just feedback. Uh, yeah, so Paul, Paul's well aware of what this charge of blasphemy means. And these blasphemers that Paul associated with might have thought that they were serving God. And that they had a murderous passion for while they were doing it. Paul was one of them. And they were convinced that they were right. We see people like that around us sometimes today. There's uh, people who in the name of their religion have a murderous passion in how they're executing. And they're convinced that what they're doing is right. Paul considered himself one of those. We'll talk about that more next time. The second claim, he calls himself a persecutor. That's a Greek word, deoctes. This is the only place it shows up in the New Testament. But it's used in other Greek writings to describe particularly abusive slave drivers. People who, not just having slaves, but torturing them. And that makes me think that Paul must have seen himself as loading people up with crushing duties, crushing expectations, crushing responsibilities that even he himself could not fulfill. And as a Jewish leader, that's exactly what Paul was doing. And we still see that today, too, don't we? We see religions loading people with crushing responsibilities, things you can never hold up. A slave driver, a deoctes. But the third claim is the one that is most interesting to me. Uh, King James says the word injurious. Injurious. Uh, the Greek word is hubristes. Hubristes. Uh, you might notice that at its root it has the uh, word you might have heard, hubris. Have you, anybody heard that term before? Hubris, meaning an arrogance. Uh, well, hubristes is arrogance to the point of violence, being violently arrogant. I'm right. I know I'm right. We've met people like that, right? One. Just the other, might as well look at the only other example that hubristes is used. Disobedient parents, proud, that's the, that's the same word. It's hubristes. So Paul is describing himself as a violently arrogant man. And I think that does fit the description that we have of Paul. As you read through Paul's life in Acts, he seems to be, so, he seems to be a plug ugly who is always spoiling for a fight. That, that just seems to be the sort of person Paul was by nature. But Christ overwhelmed his natural tendency. Your natural tendency is no excuse. That's what Paul's saying here. Yeah, I used to be violently arrogant, but Christ overwhelmed that, you see. And he can do the same for you. That fits the description of a man who would watch Stephen be stoned to death and almost certainly called out, crucify him at Christ's trial, right beside his teachers. Now, Paul could probably have come up with some other descriptive words here, but apparently, with these three, he feels like he's gone far enough describing how unworthy he is 
of anything other than the very harshest penalty. Even as he claimed to be worshiping God as a blasphemer, as injurious, he was flagrantly violating God's laws. He thought he was worshiping God. He thought he was following God. But it turns out, in reality, he was violating his law. And in that regard, he was even worse than the false teachers in Ephesus that he's telling Timothy to stop. I'm worse than these heretics. At one time, I was worse than those heretics you've got to deal with, Timothy. The difference is, something happened to Paul. Something happened to Paul, and it made all the difference in the world. And he's trying to point that out to Timothy very clearly. See, Paul doesn't see himself as a better man than these false teachers. And he's telling Timothy that. Timothy, I know better than these guys I'm telling you to stop. In fact, I'm way worse. But I met somebody who delivered me from those destructive tendencies, you see. And that's why Paul says, yeah, all of this is true. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. But I obtained mercy. But I obtained mercy. Paul was undeserving. But have you ever noticed that the undeserving are the ones that God seems to enjoy lifting up? As I read through this book, there's a lot of people who are undeserving, but God lifted them up. Samson, we all tell every kid in Sunday school learns the story of Samson. If ever there was an undeserving person in any of the Bible, it was Samson. But God lifted him up. And we all know the story of Samson. Well, God did the same thing for Paul. I encourage you to look up all the times when Paul talks about God's merciful work to himself. At a quick glance, I can find ten passages. When I was coming, getting this together, I could find ten of them without even looking hard. When Paul just goes into a rhapsody talking about how God has been merciful to him, that really impacted Paul. Paul knew what he used to be, totally undeserving. But God saved him. God gave mercy to Paul when he appeared to him on the Damascus Road. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Paul was on a hunting trip on the Damascus Road. Uh, he'd left Jerusalem, and he was going hunting. He was hunting Christians. He'd gotten all the proper paperwork together. He, he said that he had all of his dispatches and all of his orders from Jerusalem, the leadership in Jerusalem, sent him out all of his paperwork, his hunting license, if you will, uh, and he was ready to rampage on his way to Damascus. And God struck him down right in the middle of the road. And God, uh, Paul says that God gave him mercy. Why? Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Ignorantly in unbelief. Now that's a lot like what Paul said when he wrote in uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 when it said that Christ died for the ungodly. Now, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13 that I haven't come to call the righteous, but call sinners to repentance. Paul was on the way to kill Christians when God stopped him. Because that's exactly the sort of person God's looking for. 
Aren't you glad that it's sinners that God comes looking for? I sure am, because that's me. Without Christ, I'm just an ignorant sinner. And that's what Paul said, too. I don't even know what I'm doing. I think I'm doing the right thing, but the truth is, I don't even know what I'm doing without Christ. And that brings us to verse 14. And the grace of our God was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul brings it one step further here. He says, and. Last time I, I went into a long talk about the word but. I'm going to go into a little bit of a short talk about the word and here. And means there's something else coming. But wait, there's more. Uh, he'd done wrong. He was guilty. But because of God's mercy and grace abounded more. Now, uh, grace and mercy. Those are kind of churchy words, aren't they? We use them a lot. Uh, we even use them interchangeably sometimes, don't we? And it's true, in a lot of ways, grace and mercy overlap some. But mercy is really more about our deserved judgment, the judgment that we deserve being waived. God takes away the judgment that we deserve. But grace is more describing the positive blessings that God gives us instead of the judgment that we do deserve. Paul uses a really cool word when he's describing this, this grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Exceeding abundant. That's one word in the Greek. Uh, both those English words are one word. It's hooper uh, pleonazo. Hooper pleonazo. Hooper being above. Pleonazo means to above filling. It means to pour something into something until it overflows. Purposefully overflowing something. That's how God's grace comes into Paul's life. So much that it's overflowing. Paul's describing God's grace as gushing forward and flooding over all of his blasphemy, over all of his violent arrogance, over all of that. Now, I've I got to tell you a funny story. As I was working on this lesson, and I realized that the word here is hooperpleonazo, and I was trying to think of a way to describe this. And the, here's the word that I came up with to describe it. Uh, all I could think of was a fire hose washing down a slaughterhouse floor, making it clean again. Because that's what Paul's picturing in his life. While I was working on that, and I actually typed that right in this, this lesson that I've got right here, Rob Tilton sent me a text of a video of a guy who built a backpack leaf blower that was jet engine powered. And when he fired it up and turned the afterburner on, it blew the guy backwards as it was, he was blowing dirt out of his driveway. Not leaves, not sticks. He was blowing the dirt out of his driveway and it blew the guy backwards. That's actually, I had to call Rob up. I said, I was working on an expression for way more than anything anybody would possibly need, and you gave me the perfect illustration. Uh, Hooper Pleonazzo, kind of like a jet, jet engine powered leaf blower. No one needs that kind of power, but God gave that kind of grace to Paul. Above and beyond anything that he could possibly need. You know what? 
God's given that same grace to you. Because you see, the grace of God doesn't just clean things up. It does even more. It brings a filling with faith and love, which Paul mentions here as well. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Not only was it exceeding abundant, overflowing all my blasphemy and injuriousness and all the violent arrogance that I had, it still fills me up with faith and love on top of that. And all of it is in Christ Jesus. So we're right back exactly where we started today, aren't we? I'm going to end right here with that thought. We started off with Paul praising, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. He comes right back to, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant, faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Right back where we started. Christ Jesus is the source of our strength, the source of our grace, the source of our mercy, the source of our faith, and the source of our love. Hallelujah, what a Savior, huh? Brother Fisher, would you mind closing us in a word of prayer this morning?